podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? 7.7 out of 10. Jeez, you're chipper. The rest of the fan base is at about a 2 out of 10, given we haven't signed anybody in over a month and still need at least three in before the season, before the transfer window ends. But this, is, um, this is why you should start listening to me at the start of summer, not only halfway through. I said, don't worry about it. Told you this over a month ago. It's all part of the dance. <laughs> right, well, since time has passed, we must yeah. begin with talking about Chelsea because, of course, they have signed more players. Mm-hmm. Uh, Axel Dezassi is done and Robert Sanchez is deal agreed and looks like it should be done today or tomorrow. Uh, Carol, we talked a bit about Dezassi. I, I think it's a bit of an unnecessary signing because... Wesley Fofana is injured. He's not dead. He will be back at some point. You paid 60-odd million for him. You have Thiago Silva, who you still think is good, and you have Trevor Chalaba, who is, I think, a good player. I'm not sure they needed another centre-back, but they've yeah. gone and spent 40 million on one. Yeah, I mean, if I'm, if I'm Chalaba at this point, I'm probably looking for an exit in the next three weeks. Um, because I think it's quite clear as a centre-back in a in a two-man defence, at least they, they don't rate him as being there regularly enough. Otherwise, he would just be the one to step up now with uh, Silva being 300 years old and you know his game time being managed more and more often. Um, I think that especially with the lack of matches they're going to have this season across the board compared to a normal Chelsea season, it's going to be really difficult for him now to get game time. And like you say, Fafana will be back, you know, even if it is next season. So this year was the one that Chalaba really needed to make an impact. Only real way I can see him getting game time is if they think he's going to be a decent right-back alternative for him. But again, you're still longer term, not going to have a place in the team once Reese James is fully operational. And they've got Malo Gusto as well. Yeah. So, you know, they, right back probably isn't going to open up. Now, the, Chalaba can play as a holding midfielder and Chelsea are desperate for a holding midfielder. And maybe that could be a role for him if they don't get Caicedo. But yeah, I think I agree with you. I think if, if, I think if I was his agent, I would certainly be putting phone calls out there right now. I mean, look, um, Chelsea, Chelsea, if they get bad draws in the domestic cups, they may play 40 games this season. That's it. That's, that's another good point. And like, because they don't have Europe this year. So a smaller squad was surely what was needed. Instead, they've signed De Sassi. Just to stick with centre-back for a second, Levi Colwell has signed a new contract there. But there's been a lot of 
a lot of discourse around him and Pochettino has made a number of statements about how valuable he is and what he wants to keep him, how important he is. If you're Benoit Badiashile, are you not looking at that and being a little bit concerned? Because if they've put all this effort into keeping Colwell and made him the promises that he wanted, which were clearly game-related, yeah. you've got to be a little worried if you're Benoit Badiashile, don't you? Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, we... we touched on the Badiashile Zassi link up last time as well. And I, while I do think that as a pure centre back, Badiashile was better than Zassi, I don't think as a partnership they were the answer for certainly not for Monaco. And I don't think they will be for Chelsea at this stage of their respective careers either. Um so whether Pochettino is gonna go a bit more three man regularly or one of them's able to play, you know, a bit of a hybrid role, we'll see. Um it's 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 still in rebuild mode there, let's say. And definitely there's going to be at least one, but probably closer to three very disappointed, uh, high-profile, big-money, long-contract long players who are going to be quite frustrated about the middle part of the season, I would imagine, mm. because there's just still too many in certain areas, not necessarily any big partnerships which have been built up. And even, you know, left-hand side, Kugurea now looks like he's maybe what fourth choice at the minute. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. It's only a year since he came in again, another one for big money. So there's a lot still to sort out there. And honestly, don't know how long you want to spend on it because we've spoken about Chelsea already. But Robert Sanchez, I'm not sure what he's the answer to here. I really don't know. Is it as far as I'm concerned, goalkeeper wise, he's not as good as Edo Mendy. And I know Mendy had like ridiculous season in terms of errors and losing his place on the side but we're talking about Sanchez has basically had a season and a half as a first choice goalkeeper and not been elite in that period Yeah, just just one last thing on the, on the defenders um, I, I agree with you on the, the two former Monaco centre-backs I, I think they're actually too similar to play together in a two either side of a three I think he could be in business but in a two I don't like them didn't like them together at Monaco. Um, Badi Yashile is actually someone I would take very much at Liverpool. I think he'd solve quite a few of our problems. Um, but yeah, Robert Sanchez, if he's the answer, then you're asking the wrong question. What you've done here is you've gone into the window in desperate need of a starting goalkeeper, an upgrade on Kepa. And what you've managed to do is buy a goalkeeper who's not an upgrade on Kepa. You've bought Brighton's third-choice goalkeeper for £25 million. And this is a guy who is a, is a good shot stopper and has some ability with his feet, but was dropped last season because Roberto De Zerbi decided he wasn't good enough with his feet and went to Jason Steele who prior to that had played one Premier League game in his career, had never been any more than a solid championship goalkeeper and at times had been a less than solid championship goalkeeper. So to be dropped for him when he's now 32 years of age is a damning indictment of Robert Sanchez. His attitude and his behaviour after being dropped was nothing short of a disgrace. 
And now you're going to bring him into what is already a circus. I think this is a really bad move by Chelsea. It feels a little bit like they didn't know who else to get. And so, you know, I think it's Ben Roberts, who's, who's the, uh, the coach still at Chelsea from when Graham Potter moved and has worked with him before. So maybe as a recommendation there, uh, this feels a little bit like they didn't know where else to go. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Very much so. Um, Ben Roberts, of course, a Middlesbrough legend. Um, Question for you, Carl. I give you $25 I tell you, get me one of the Spanish keepers who's available in the Premier League this summer. Do you come back with Robert Sanchez or do you come back with David Rea? I come back with your 25 million, give you a slap around the face and tell you to stop being stupid. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you come back with my 25 million and David De Gea. Um, <laughs> to, to be fair, I would probably take over Robert Sanchez. Um, let's move on then. And let's move to Manchester City. We've obviously covered Arsenal through Luton. We didn't do Liverpool because there's no fucking point. Um, Manchester City have signed Mateo Kovacic, much to the heartbreak of both of us. And they have also now agreed a fee for Josco Gvardiol, uh, $77 Not quite the world record fee that Leipzig were looking for, but... I think this makes him now the second most expensive defender in history after Harry Maguire, um, who, you know, you just couldn't take that that legacy away that, that Manchester United spent the most expensive fee ever on a good defender for Harry Maguire. Um, they did lose, though, Riyad Mahrez, Ilkay Gundogan. And Nathan Aki was arguably their best defender last year. So I don't know that this improves them in the immediate. I think as much as I like Kovacic, he's a very different type of player to Ilkay Gundogan. I don't know that he replicates what Gundogan did in terms of that, those big game performances. And um, Gvardiol is incredibly talented. But is he better than Aki right this moment? I, I don't think so. So I think City might take a little bit of a step back. I, I still expect him to do more business. Michael Elise wouldn't surprise me, but I think that's the one thing they need to do still is bring in that that right winger to replace Mares, even if just as a squad player. Um, and then we need to see what happens with Kyle Walker. Yeah, um, I mean, I I, 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 don't, I think it's absolutely fine getting Vardial at this point, to be perfectly honest, whether he's better than Ake or not. And I think maybe he is overall. Ake was really consistent last season, though. but also... There's so many versatile defenders in that back line who have so many different jobs. I wouldn't be surprised to see both Ake 
and Gladiol in that lineup, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, someone's got to come out anyway. Laporte obviously has not had a, a good recent time with them. I still don't really think that Diaz is as absolutely critical to them as, as some seem to feel. Um, there's been a revolving past in that central area. So maybe Gvardi will just go straight in there. Maybe Ake takes up a more central wrong. Gvardi takes off Ake's place on the side. So there's definitely options there for them. Um, plus, you know, it's Pep Guardiola, so they could end up playing like six centre-backs this year and everybody else as a 10. So we'll have to wait and see how that one pans out. Uh, agreed on Dundalan Kovacic in terms of slightly different outputs, but I do think there's quite a lot of overlap there, certainly in terms of like ball carrying, uh, possession winning back, obviously, both very, very aggressive, both very comfortable in tight spaces. So there's a good hand over there, but you're not going to get the goals from Kovacic that you did from Gundogan. Certainly the runs into the box for Kovacic stops basically at the line, uh, whereas Gundogan was perfectly happy to go penalty spot and beyond. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do. I, I think if they lose Walker, as much as he is flawed, it would be a big blow because he's the one defender they have that has real elite level pace and I do wonder if they were to lose him and the the report was he could go to Bayern and maybe City would bring in Benjamin Pavard as much as I think Walker is arguably the most overrated fullback in Premier League history uh, that would be a downgrade and it would also leave them short of pace in the back line but we'll wait and see and see what they do Um, moving across Manchester well, out of Manchester to, sit, to the city of Salford. Uh, Manchester City have done what we said, and Manchester United have signed Mason Mount for £60 million, Andre Onana for £47 million plus add-ons. It looks like Rasmus Hoysland will be next in the door for £65 plus add-ons. And then it is apparently the case that Sophie and Amrabat would follow. I like the Amrabat deal because I think they need cover for Casemiro. And at 25 million, I think Amrabat's a really good, a really good get for them. I think they've overpaid considerably for Mount, given he had one year left. And I don't like the fit at all with him and Bruno in the same midfield. I think Onana is wildly overrated. And I think the fee for Hoysland is, is outrageous, Carl. 18 months ago, he moved for 1.8 million euro when he joined Sturm Graz from Copenhagen. 1.8 million euro to inclusive of add-ons, about 75 million pounds in 18 months. That seems a little hokey to me. Yeah, I'm not really sure of the Highland deal. I mean, obviously they see a lot of uplift in him because they're, they're not paying for what is there right now, that's for sure. Um, they're, they're expecting exponential improvement on that and probably a long-term payback as well. So I'm going to set that one aside because he's not someone who I would pick out in that level over the next, let's say, three years. It's a bit difficult to look beyond that at this point, but He's certainly not at the level where I would be starting him every single Premier League game. I just don't think he's that 
technically that good yet. Um, movement is good, but has a lot more to come, which, you know, that's fine. You kind of expect that off a forward who's not just an absolute predator. Um, but yes, it's an astronomical fee for not an astronomical current level. Mm. So there's going to have to be real, like very, very tangible improvement from um, a technical and, you know, anything you can measure, let's say, has to improve from him over the coming 24 months quite a bit. But then all the other stuff, like I said, the movement, the, probably the work rate that Ten Hag is going to want, um, the link play that he has with certain areas of the pitch, all of this has to improve as well, I think, for, for Hoyland to be a, you know, a genuine top two, three club starting number nine. I think there's a long way to go for him, but they obviously feel that there is a long run runway for him to do that. So I'm happy to sit and watch because he's not one of the forwards who I've seen the most of in Serie A or for his age group. But as I say, from what I would have put him at the level at, he certainly wouldn't be even maybe halfway to that fee. That's probably my upper limit on him at the minute. So mm-hmm. let, let's Same. see. Let's, Let's see where that goes in the first year. Because I think, I don't want to be like really cliche about it, but you know, the settling in time, the adjusting to a new club. It's not just that, but the fact that it's going to be such a big club. And because of the fee, there is going to be real expectation on him. So he's going to need a little while. And I don't think that this first year is going to tell us everything that United are going to get about him. But two years from now, they're going to expect a really, really big return in terms of actual output from him in front of goal and in front of uplifting performances as well. It, it just kind of reminds me of when they signed Martial, Carl, and they, they overpaid hugely for him based on a small sample size, where it wasn't like he'd absolutely torn up uh, a lesser league than the Premier League. Nine goals in Serie A last season. Now, I know it wasn't a full season minutes-wise, but he still played 30-odd games. He's very, very quick. He's very direct. He attacks the six-yard box aggressively. So if they, if they get low crosses into that area, I think he, he will bundle in some goals. But, yeah, from a technical perspective, he's he's well short of what you'd want right now. It, it, it's a strange signing, and I, and I do wonder if Ten Hag will even be there to reap the benefits of it. Um, with these signings, um, they will push past the £400 million pound mark since he joined just over 12 months ago and I would imagine the owners are going to want a significant return on investment now he did win silverware last year obviously and finished third so he's probably bought himself at least a year but if this season were to go badly and they were to finish sixth I think he would enter the following season under a lot of pressure and I think there is a real world in which they do finish somewhere like sixth because I don't think they've improved all that much. Onana's definitely better with his feet than De Gea, but I think he's a flawed goalkeeper who's average at best as a shot stopper and appalling on crosses. I think he has huge lapses of judgment. And even in the area where he's strong, he will cost you a goal or two across the season because he dallies in the ball too much. Like I said, I don't like the fit with Mount. What, What do you think of the of a Mount Casemiro Bruno midfield three? Um, I think if they were a team who dominated possession, worked very, very hard in the second third and the final third of the pitch, probably I'd like it a bit more. But from what we've seen of them 
in the biggest of games, not against the Minnow, who they're just going to beat anyway. Um, they play very, very deep, and I don't really see that those three have amazing capacity to get forward relentlessly. Like Fernandez from deep, perfectly fine because his passing range is exceptional. If you've got you know Rashford and um, Gabnacho and whoever else playing, who are very, very quick outlets, that's okay. But you still need to join up from the second line. You, you know, I like Mount as a player, but I don't really see a great fit for him at Liverpool, at Man United, just because of the singular personalities who are in that zone pitch and the way that they line up. So I think there's a lot of work to get the best out of Mount from this role. I don't think it's going to suit him perfectly, but he probably is a better person to put there who can dovetail with the outside forwards, let's say. Um, mm. and drift into those areas a little bit better than anyone like um, Tomine would have done, than Van der Beek would have done, anybody like that, maybe outside of Fred. So a little bit of the joined-up tactics I can see, but I think it would benefit them a lot more if they played a lot higher upfield a lot more of the time. So unless there's going to be massive sea change in that regard from them this season, I don't necessarily think they get the best out of it. Well, the problem if you play a much higher line is that Lissandro Martinez only has little legs and they're going to be pumping away, trying to get himself back into position if United start with a high line. They played the deepest defensive line in the entire Premier League last season on average, which is um, which is quite something considering they, they apparently had signed the second coming of Pep Guardiola. Um, and, and Hoysland, to me, plays more into the idea of a counter-attacking team than anything else. So I, I'm curious to see what happens. Um, moving on to the tune. Sandro Tonali, Harvey Barnes, currently in talks to bring in Tino Livramento. It looks like that fee is agreed. So it's just about personal terms and a medical now. They also signed Yankuba Minta, a young Gambian winger from Odense. He's immediately gone out on loan. I like what they've done. I think they're overpaying a little bit, but I think Newcastle have to overpay. But Tonali, to me, I like him. I think he's a very good player. I think Harvey Barnes is a significant upgrade on Alan St. Maximum because he can actually put the round thing into the thing with the net and doesn't get caught up doing 400 stepovers to please the crowd. And I like Livermento because I think You've got Kieran Trippier as the starting right-back. He's going to be 33 in just over a month. So you've got to be planning long-term. And I think Livermento is a really good signing. But he is a risk because he's coming off an ACL. And he is only 20. Um, so I like what they've done. But I still think there's I think there's one more needed in midfield. Maybe someone with a bit more of... Um, Ball-winning ability? Yeah, like a dynamic ball-winner. Like, uh, I mean, obviously. at the minute, there's a lot on um, Sean Longstaff, basically, yes. to do that role. And I do like Sean Longstaff, and I think, actually, he was maybe, after Joel Linton, their standout of the not-standout names, let's say. Because, mm. um, obviously, Kamadish was the best midfielder overall, and I think mm. as a three, they worked really well. But I think Longstaff was quite underrated in what he actually did for them last year. It's tremendous work rate, really good ball winning ability, covers a lot of ground. Technically, I think he was all right as well, but there's still a huge ask of him and he's much more 
ball winning eight box to box than sitting six. And at times, I think you're going to need someone behind Nanali because he's not the most agile, most athletic of players. He's you know he's not problematic with it, but you are going to get runners in behind him at times, and that's not one of his strongest points to get back into those areas. So I do think that that in certain matches they would benefit from having a pure sit and six there, and they don't really have that at the minute. And while on the left-hand side of the fence, I think it's a little bit disappointing. Maybe it's not worked out for Jamal Lewis. I think there's probably not really got the biggest chances given to him, to be perfectly honest. Most of his games came in Steve Bruce's back eight, so mm-hmm. not not the most helpful for an attacking outlet. Um, I, I think that they could definitely do with another one or two in that back line as well. Yeah, they were heavily linked with Kieran Tierney, but that all seemed to go quiet. I wonder if that's something they'll resurrect after the Livermento deal is done. But this is a multi-year project, so you know, and, and they are trying to stay within the con- confines of, of FFP because they don't want people looking at them the way they look at Man City, certainly not yet. Um, so I wonder if next summer maybe we see them upgrade on left-back and upgrade on uh, Fabian Schaar. Um, but yeah, I mean, all things considered, I, I do like what they've done. It's just, you know, it, it's going to take time. Um, moving on, Nottingham Forest, Carl, after last summer where they signed 760 players, only two in the door thus far. Now, they had to make the Chris Wood deal a permanent deal, which I don't like at all, but they had him in January, got injured, they stayed up anyway. At worst, he's a fine option off the bench, but I don't like the deal for them. They have signed Ola Aina, a deal I do like. I think that's a really good deal for them to get him on a free, proven quantity in the Premier League, can play centre-back or full-back either side. And then they signed Anthony Alanga from Manchester United. And I have to say, I, I kind of low-key really like this deal. I know he's not... He didn't look the calibre needed at United, but for a club like Forrest, I quite like the deal. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. I think so. But I guess, again, a lot of this depends on how they're going to have a regular attacking uh, formation, let's say, because like, last year we saw one behind two. We saw two behind one, one either side. We saw just one and one off. We saw a back four, wing backs. We saw, you know, diamond midfield, a three packed with ball winners. We saw all kinds of twists and turns from Steve Cooper, I think. At some point, especially in terms of attack and build-up play, he's got to have 
quite a fixed or at least regular way of playing because otherwise it becomes very difficult to keep chopping and changing with different styles of attackers as well. So if you're looking at a Langer being a starter, obviously Brennan Johnson's going to be another one of them, then you've probably got to say Gibbs White has won himself a place in the team. How are you best putting those together? Are they going to be a very narrow, fluid three interchanging? Mm. If that is the case, where are you fitting in Taiwo uh, Wani, whose goals at the back end of last season were a really, really big factor as well? Emmanuel Dennis probably fits in that narrow rotation quite well as, a, as an alternative, but Chris Wood certainly doesn't. You're only throwing him on later on in games if, if that's the case. Yeah. Um, you know, a Wood and a Wani are basically, while stylistically nowhere near each other, they are the best approximation of each other in terms of number nines who can come in and out of the team. So I don't yeah. really know how this is all going together at the minute, to be honest. I'm wondering, is he looking at a 4-3-3 with, with Johnson right, Alanga left, Dennis as the cover on both sides, a 1E through the middle with Wood as the cover for him, and then Gibbs White and Danilo as his two number eights, either side of a, a sitting ball winning six. Now, they have been linked to Ibrahima Sanger. Now, that, that's that gone a little bit quiet, but I wonder if it's something that they'll resurrect before the window closes. Um, if that is the case, then I have concerns about the fullback positions because I think Nico Williams and Omar Richards are both better as wingbacks, and Omar Richards hasn't kicked a ball really in over a year. Um, I think they, they do need a left back in. Say again? Aina spent a lot of time on wing-back as well, to be perfectly honest. I, I still think that that midfield would be really lightweight for them. I think technically it's obviously very good, but they tried the technical approach halfway through last season, got a big, big, regular mm. bad run of results against them, and they had to go much more aggressive, much more um, ball-winning and doing whatever is necessary for quite a while to get themselves out of that. So. Yeah, but I mean, I think they can rotate in... in um in big games against the bigger clubs, you know, you can bring in a Mangala, you can bring in Remo Freuler if you need to. Um, you can bring in Ryan Yates. I, I think if they could get Sanger, because I, I think last year they didn't fully take advantage of what Danilo can bring because when he was at Palmieri's, he was an outstanding ball winner and a great transition player, very much a Ginny Wijnaldum type. Um, so if you had... Gibbs White, Sanger, and and him as a three, I do think there's real potential there as long as you've got a solid base behind them. Now, last season, obviously, Niakata missed a big chunk of the year, which was a huge blow for them. He's fit again, so I think he obviously locks down one centre-back spot. The other one, though, is questionable because I don't like Felipe, and, and I... I he got an awful lot of praise for his form at Forest. And when I watched him play, he made a mistake every single game, a big mistake every single game. At the moment, they're being strongly linked with Roger Ibanez from Roma. And I think him and Niakata could be a really good pairing together. Um, yeah, I think there's lots of options there for them and lots of options for them to be um, chaotic as well if I'm being brutally honest I think Scott McKenna at times was pretty good for them last year but then Scott McKenna also had a couple of those moments who 
cost them the most weirdest goals of all, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. And even even Neokate has has tendencies that way at, at times. But I do wonder whether that was partly circumstantial, let's say, because he was in a three, in a two, different people around him every week, that kind of thing. So um the biggest issue, obviously, that Forrest had at the minute is is goalkeeper. There's, there's yes. no no hiding that whatsoever at the minute. They don't have one. They and the next club we're going to discuss <clears throat> both desperately need a starting goalkeeper, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, at the moment, they're being linked with the American at Arsenal. Is it Matt Turner? Is that his name? Yeah. Turner, yeah. Uh, is he a starting calibre goalkeeper in the Premier League? I, I haven't seen enough of him. Um, and I think if you go from, from Dean Henderson and Kaylor Navas to him, that to me, that seems like a downgrade. Agreed. And also very much depends on what you're paying, because I think, for example, Callagher is a better goalkeeper than him by some stretch. Well, this uh, is where I was going to go to. Yeah. Why hasn't there been a bid for Cueving Callagher yet this summer? Like we've seen... Burnley spend big money on a goalkeeper who's completely unproven. We've seen Brighton spend big money on a young goalkeeper. We've seen Brentford buy a new goalkeeper. And we we can clearly see that Forrest want a goalkeeper and the next club is Sheffield United and they desperately need a goalkeeper. How have none of these clubs turned around to Liverpool and said, look, what's the price on Cueving Keller? We, we, we want to buy him. I mean, maybe they have. Maybe we've told them too high, like we did for years with Nico Williams, with Nat Phillips, with whoever else it was, you know, Harry Wilson. Maybe we want 10 million more than anyone else sees him as being worthwhile. It's a very strange situation. Very, very strange. If I was Forrest, I, I would have been in on Cueving Callagher early in the window. Because I do think there's a deal to be made there. I think Liverpool would be open to a sale. I think he's made it clear that he wants to go and play. And even if they did a loan with an option to buy or an obligation to buy at a higher price, if they stayed in the division, I think we would have been potentially open to that. Um, but yeah, Forrest need to get their act together and get a goalkeeper in. Uh, moving on, Sheffield United, again, desperately need of a goalkeeper. Desperately in need of everything, really. And... They've signed Alston Trusty from Arsenal, who's a 24-year-old centre-back who I'm not sure ever played for Arsenal. They signed Benny Traore, who looks a very exciting young player that they've brought in from Hacken in Sweden. Annie Sleman, they've brought in from Bronby in Denmark, a midfielder. And they signed former Liverpool player Yasser Larouchi uh, on loan. But, Carl, the most notable transfer for them this window is Illaman and Jai leaving and going to Marseille, by far their best player. I think they're in... I think they're screwed, if I'm honest. I don't really see much chance of them staying up. Um, yeah, I think they need one really good signing in every single position. You look at the squad at the minute and... I mean... <laughs> Swappingham, Davies and Amisa as the goalkeepers. I'm not seeing much of in terms of a Premier League standard. I'm not seeing much in terms of capacity to be consistent at Premier League level and win the matches. And I think that they're going to be busy. Centre-backs, John Egan, 
we've seen him in the Premier League before, Chris Basham, we've seen him in the Premier League before. They're, they're not going to be better this time around than they were two years ago, three years ago, and they were struggling at that time. Yeah, Chris Basham was awful the last season they had in the Premier League. He's 35 now, so I assume he's not going to play that much anyway, but yeah, yeah. They're, they're miles off. The midfield is is Sheffield United's saving grace of not being a truly awful squad at this point, with respect to Premier League level, obviously. Yeah, but that alone is not enough. They need like support players if they, you know, from from wide areas as outlets. They need probably two forwards now because they're not going to get one who's going to do the the dual creativity and goal scoring of uh, Vinjay. So you probably need to split that between two attackers. There's a lot to do there, let's be honest. There is. There is. There's an awful lot to do. And um, they're, they're leaving themselves in a in an awkward situation where teams are going to know they're desperate uh, as we go through August. Um, moving on then to Tottenham Hotspur. They made the Pedro Poro and Dejan Kulisewski deals permanent. They actually got the Kulisewski deal done for less than the agreed price, which I think is is great business. And I like. I really like him and Poro. Um, they signed James Madison, who has been linked there for years, and I think is a, is a very good get for them. They signed uh, Visario, the Italian goalkeeper from Empoli, who had a standout year last year. They signed Mon- Manor Solomon on a free, and they're currently in the process of trying to sign both, apparently, Mickey Van de Veen and Edmund Topsapa, which might point to a back three with Romero, Tapsapa and Van de Veen, which would make more sense given all of their fullbacks are wingbacks. Bar Ben Davies, who's actually more comfortable as the left side centre-back in a three anyway. So maybe that's the plan, is to move to a back three. Um, would certainly fit what they're doing in midfield. It looks like Hoysberg could leave. Um, it looks like Endombele will leave, so they're reducing numbers in there as well. But Carl, the big, the big thing for Spurs is what happens with Harry Kane. Bayern yeah. are pushing hard for that deal. Yeah. Apparently, they're getting closer in terms of price. If it were me, I would have sold him a month ago, so I had time to find a replacement and bed him in. Um, I said to you the other day, if it was me, I'd, I'd actually go Ivan Tony. And just, you know, run Richarlison and Son through the middle for the rest, for the first half of the season. But what do you make of the incomings and what do you think happens with Kane? Um, I mean, I've said before, too many wingbacks, not enough genuine fullbacks for a back four. I think that's going to be a really difficult turnaround for them uh, unless they sign, you know, at least one specific there. Raylon is really the the better one of the, the group who has had it considerable career time at, at fullback in a four and supposedly he wants to leave so whether or not he's allowed to whether or not they can whether or not there's a buyer there's a lot to sort out and especially going back to Spain they don't tend to like spending a lot of money or giving it to English clubs so I think that's a difficult deal to do anyway um, I think the ones they have offloaded like not making Danjuma permanent and getting uh, Mano Solomon instead I think that's good I think that's a good move uh, I quite like Solomon as a as an impact player off the bench. I think he's got scope to get a bit better in terms of his final ball, his decision making, all that kind of thing. Um, not not bringing in Clement Longley after the loan spell is a good move 
I, I cannot emphasize that enough. Uh, like you said, Kulosevsky, lower fee. Not often it happens the other way around, to be perfectly honest. So I think as, as Premier League to Serie A transfers go, we can take a little bit of sadistic pleasure in that. Uh, usually it's like, oh, I know we agreed 56 million, but can we have him for nothing? So hmm. uh, Lucas Moore obviously out and Harry Winks, they got money for, which is fair play, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I don't like how this squad is built. I really, really don't. I think it's so imbalanced. I think it's so heavy in some areas and like where they need it to be fairly mm. strong. They need at least one more central midfielder unless they genuinely think Saar can step up and be a really, really good starter on a regular basis. Hoiberg and Bentancur, I think, is is you know a really good starting point, obviously, but you cannot just rely on them all the time. Bissouma has to step up so much more than he did last year. And that is... Again, assuming that it is a two, they've started with a four-two-three-one in the in the couple of friendlies that have been able to see the lineups for, not seen any of the performances. But like you say, this is like the the inverse almost of where Nottingham Forest are. They need to get a goalkeeper because that's their base. Spurs needs to finish whatever is happening with Harry Kane because he's the point. Yeah, he's what everything else is built around. Like even to the point of bringing in James Madison, you use James Madison as a ten creator for Harry Kane running beyond is really, really different setup to having Son running beyond Kane who drops deep with Madison pushing wide. If you've got a number nine who leads the line and let's say Richarlison stays really high, you use James Madison and Son in very different ways. Yeah. And you can't, you can't get practice in that. You can't get the repetitions and the ball patterns and the off the ball um, uh, playing off each other and everything else comes from already having those people in place and they can't do it with two weeks left. It, it would just be ridiculous. It would be very, very Spurs, let's be perfectly honest. Um, and I think that that would be worth so much more than an extra five million pounds once you're already into the 80, 90 million range anyway. I think Levy has to see the bigger picture here because otherwise it's going to stop Spurs getting European football again for another year for the sake of five million quid. Yeah, and the, the thing as well is it won't be Daniel Levy who pays for it with his job. It will be Ant Postacoglu. And that would be a travesty for Spurs if they were to fuck up the opportunity they have with this guy in charge. Um, they've, they've got a lot to do, like us. They've got a lot to do, and the window is getting, is getting tight. Uh, moving on to West Ham United, who have done nothing. They sold Declan Rice. They sold Arthur Masuaku. They let Lanzini go on a free. And the only addition to the squad is Nikola Vlasic has returned from alone at Torino. And David Moyes doesn't want him. So um, they've been linked to and made bids for Harry Maguire, who I don't think gets in their team. James Ward-Prowse, who's god-awful. Conor Gallagher, who's a decent player, but not worth anywhere close to what they bid for him already and has been rejected. What are West Ham doing, Carl? West Ham are paying the price for having the emotional nodding of the head after winning a trophy and letting Moyes stay. Yeah. Because Moyes wants players and West Ham want different players. West yeah. Ham wants to start building a different way. And it is just going to be a completely pointless wasted year with wasted transfers, wasted money and wasted opportunity. They've just sold the captain for a massive fee, use the money properly. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) 
This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Would they be better off not signing anybody? Yes. Keeping their money? Yes. And then when they sack David Moyes in November and appoint Graham Potter, going big in January? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that is how I see it playing out. And it's stupid. It's 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 a saving face exercise, which mm. doesn't actually save face because it shows that they didn't want to sack him, but are just forcing him out anyway. That's that's what that would be. You don't back your manager after you say, oh, well, then you can stay. What's the point? Because I think they gave him the opportunity to, to walk away, and I think he, he turned it down. I think they thought he'd leave on a high. But it's still their fault, then. It's still their decision. It is their fault. No, it's entirely their fault. But but the appointment of Tim Steedten, who's one of the best sporting directors and one of the best talent spotters in Europe, but has a completely different philosophy towards player recruitment than David Moyes does. And, like, clearly Gallagher, Ward-Prowse, Moy, uh, Maguire and Scott McTominay, they're clearly all moves driven by David Moyes. They're not Tim Steedten. So... They seem to be letting him sniff around. They seem to be letting him point to players that he might like. And then they're purposely lowballing on offers for, because they know what Southampton want for Ward Prowse. And that's an easy deal to, to do as long as you pay the asking price. It's been reported that Steve Ten is the one that's blocking that move. He's, he's refusing to budge on their, their willingness to pay. He's apparently the one that was behind the, the lowball offer for Maguire. I mean, I don't, I don't see the sense in Harry Maguire. You've got Kurt Zuma. You've got Neyef Agard. Unless you're selling Neyef Agard, in which case Liverpool, make a phone call. Um, I don't really see why you would go for Harry Maguire because is he going to swap the bench at Old Trafford for the bench at the London Stadium? Probably not. Can you afford his wages? Definitely not. So what are you doing there? I can only assume it's, Neyef Agard is potentially available for sale. Possibly. I mean, you know, there's the usual thing of wanting three starting centre-backs as well, but I don't know. It's a mess. It's a waste of everybody's time, if I'm being perfectly honest, what's going on at the minute. Yeah, I agree. I think they're, I think they're shambles at the moment. The, the, the move is just to get rid of Moyes, get Potter in. If, if you have to force Moyes out, it, it's a bad look. 
from a PR point of view, it's a really bad look, given he won a trophy last year. But at the same time, you've got to think about the club and not, not an individual. So maybe keep your powder dry, get Potter in, give him a couple of months to work with the squad and then go big in January. Um, you'll still have time to, to turn your things around. Last team then, Carl, and this is another team that haven't done anything. So Wolves have made the Matthias Cunha deal uh, permanent. They've made the Bubakar Traore deal permanent. Uh, they've signed Matt Doherty on a free. That's their big new incoming. Uh, they've also brought in Tom King on a free from Northampton Town to be probably third choice goalkeeper. Uh, they've sold Ruben Neves. They've sold Nathan Collins. Now, the Neves one, they didn't really have much say in because he had a year left and he was clearly going to leave. But they made a decision to sell Nathan Collins, which I think was a really bad one. Uh, they sold Connor Cody. They sold Raul Jimenez. They sold Ryan Giles. They sold Kawabi and they sold uh, Sarkic. This is a club that appears to be hamstrung completely by previous year's spending. They did try and sign Aaron Cresswell, and apparently Moyes killed that deal uh, when he realised what was going on. And now Cresswell is apparently furious and uh, and not the happiest bunny uh, in the West Ham camp. They haven't replaced Neves. I don't know how they would go about replacing Neves. I I think Wolves are in for a tough season. Yeah. Um, Again, I think this is a pretty poorly managed run of transfer windows, not just transfer window this summer. Uh, there's obviously time to rectify things and I think that there are deals out there that they can get done and at least bolster the squad. But it, it's, again, it's really, really imbalanced. It's it's a, a squad which is basically going to pay, pay the price for having been a team for quite some time, right? especially in that midfield area. It's been so consistent, which has been fine, but up until a point where it stopped working quite so well and there's been nothing done about it. And they've not really made any decent additions in that area of the pitch. I think there are a few, even like Man City offload and Young Herrera permanently, finally this year. Go for someone like him. He fits so well into that kind of a system. It's not going to be like a, a culture shock for him, given the number of players from that area of the, the world mm. in that squad. It was €5 million, Euro, I think, you don't want to pay for him in the end. He, he certainly would have gone to Bulls instead of Hidon, I would imagine. So yeah, there, there have been loads of deals that they could have done to make this a much more balanced team and a much more prepared for the obvious departures of not just Neves, but Matinho as a regular capable yeah. starter. Because that's, that's, you know, that's the big deal here. It's not just the end of a player, it's the end of a partnership. And one's gone and one's, well, both of them are gone, but Matinho obviously was too old to be that regular a starter anyway. Um I don't know. They're, they're a bit of a mess, as I said. They're... I mean, there is a midfield and attack here, I think, that, that could have some juice. So you sit Mario Lamina as your, your six, and then you've got Matias Nunez, Bubakar Traore, and Joe Gomes to play as your eights. And I do think there's a midfield in that that works. The issue is that this manager prefers to play midfield four. So maybe it's Nunez wide on the left. Yeah, Nunez from the side is a starting point. You you put him there and that's your creative building point, let's say. Yeah, and you go say say Lamina and Gomes as the starting central midfield pairing. Yeah, then you have an actual winger on the other side, which is probably Pedro Neto. 
And then up front, you've got Cunha, you've got uh, Sasa Kalazic, you've got Guedes, and you've got Fabio Silva and Huang. It's not the worst. It's not the worst. My issue is behind them. I, I think their insistence that Craig Dawson is still a Premier League centre-back is bizarre. Him and Max Kilman is not a pairing that does much for me. Um, Hugo Nobueno at right back, or at left back rather, isn't something that fills me with joy either. And as things stand, Matt Doherty looks like he's the right back. So, um, because, well, Nelson Semedo has been trying to push for a move all summer and might well end up in in Saudi Arabia uh, if George Mendes has his way. They're also looking to sell um, one of your favourites in Daniel Pedence, so keep an eye for that one. I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I think the manager's good enough to keep them up. I think there's enough good players in that squad to stay up, but I do think it's going to be a long, long season. Yeah, um, long season is one way to put it. I, I mean, you put together a midfield there because those are the players who are there. It's so thin. It's so so thin behind. Well, there's no depth. There's no depth at all behind them. Yeah, and and the you know even those four to be perfectly honest, not. I don't think it's absolutely perfect to say that they go together in the way that he wants them to. I think Neto getting back to top fitness and form, and Kalicic being the Kalicic pre-injury. Are two complete unknowns, but really, really important for them. That's mm. that's those are the starting points for Wolves' season and how good or not good it could go. To be honest, yeah, I, I, my expectation is that we see two or three loans coming in between now and the end of the window. Um, potentially players that this manager has a familiarity with, like it, Lucas Acampos on loan wouldn't surprise me at all because he's a player Lopetegui likes. Um, although they did fall out, didn't they, last summer? I think they had a falling out at Sevilla, so maybe not him. But I, I do think they'll they'll have to explore the loan market to, um, to, to find some solutions. But, you know, like, you want to freshen your squad up every month and there's, there's no new addition here. Matt Doherty's old hat, he's been there before. He was there for a long time. Uh, Tom King, like I said, is is coming in as your third-choice goalkeeper. And, I mean, the goalkeeping situation right now is Jose Sa, who's fine, but then Dan Bentley, who was the backup at Bristol City, and Tom King, who's never played above League One, to my knowledge. It, it's not exactly filling you with confidence. And there has been some reports that Jose Sa would, would like to leave this summer and that Wolves could be open to move. So, look, maybe they become a Cleveland Keller team. Um, yeah, it, it, it's not great. It's not great. Right, before we go, because we've got four minutes left, as things stand, right now, as things stand, these are not locked in or anything. You can change them as the window goes on. Yeah. Give me your top four and your bottom three. Doesn't have to be in order. You don't have to pick a title winner. Just top four, bottom three. Right. Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool, and Man United as the four. And as the three, Sheffield United, Luton, and 
as it stands, Wolves. Do you think the Everton squad is better than the Wolves squad? I think the Everton defence and defensive midfield is better than the Wolves defensive mm, that's defensive fair. midfield. That is fair. Yeah, I think I think Luton and Sheffield United are the two kind of definite is not the word, but you know the the, the two kind of uh, nailed on picks, and then yeah, it, there's a few like there's a world in which West Ham find a way to to get themselves relegated. Wolves, Forest, I think will will still be in that mix. Um, Everton. Bournemouth, you, you couldn't rule out that they just have a have a bad campaign. I think I'll go Everton just because I, I just really want them to go down. I just, I actually think it would be the best thing possible for that club to go down and have to actually reset and potentially Mashiri to actually have to sell the club and go away and let someone come in who's you know competent and will tell Bill Bill Kenwright and all the rest to fuck off. I think it would get rid of some of the overpaid, underperforming dross that's there. Now, they've cleared out some of it, but there's still a bit left. Uh, yeah, I'll go Everton as my third to go down. Top four, I'm kind of with you where, where you are with those those four, but... I wonder... I do wonder if Chelsea with Pochettino just having real organization, the talent in that squad is is undeniably special. I might go Chelsea over United. I could see United struggling this season to find goals. I can see them struggling defensively because I think when when he tries to play a high line with with Martinez. I, I do think they're going to get found out. And I think teams are going to target Martinez even more this season because they're now aware of where the flaws are. And I, I could see him being, being an issue. So I'll go Chelsea fourth. Now, I think it'll be a top three and a gap, but I'll go I'll go City, Liverpool. City, Liverpool, Arsenal and Chelsea as my four. And that will do us for today. Have you anything you want to plug before we go? Nothing today. There we go. Right, folks, that is us for the day. Thank you, as always, for listening. Do be sure to follow Carl at Carl Matchett on the Twitter machine, or, or sorry, on X, where you no longer retweet, you repost, um, because Elon Musk is a big-brained idiot. Uh, follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle. Follow me at Mr. Two-Footed, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel, so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index. And find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows.
Sports Social Podcast Network.